It's Pirkei Avot. And uh, we will finish the fifth chapter, Be'ezrat Hashem, today and start the sixth. And so from six chapters, five will be behind us. And then in another week or two, I believe before Rosh Hashanah for sure, we'll finish the whole series. Uh, last week, to remind you, we finished with the 18th Mishnah of the fifth chapter. Kola Mezaket Arabim, someone who helps the public to commit mitzvot, to get closer to Hashem, which means he influences them for the good. Somebody like this have a special protect protection not to make sins and not to get punished. Why? Because eventually it doesn't make sense that his students, those people he made them religious or taught them Torah, they'll go to heaven and he will end up in hell. That's no respect for the Torah. So it's worth it for Hashem to give him special protection from the evil inclination, from the Satan and from all the traps and the infatuations and all the temptations out there. So somebody like this has a special protection. And, and someone which does the opposite, which means he influences the people to make sins, uh, let's go to bad places, let's watch bad things, let's not learn Torah, let's, let's cheat, let's steal, you know, influence other people to do, and uh, unfortunately, today you have many people that do it, which means, uh, we, who are the people who fall into this category? Uh, i give you an example, uh, someone who is a DJ, he makes mixed parties, singers that sings and men, boys and girls come to the place, Boys and girls comes to the place and they dance and they make scenes thanks to his music. So he become a part of every scene that has been done over there. A drug dealer, it's called Mahti Arabim. A person, a woman that walks in the street not modest and so many men looks at her that day, that hour or that week, whatever it was. So everyone, everyone who think bad about her or enjoy from her not modest places in her body she becomes a part of his scene, which means it could be millions in one hour, it could be millions in a day, depending where she walks. All these things fall into this category. Now, what's the punishment of these people? Even if they want to make tshuva, it will become almost an impossible mission for them. Now, you may say, why? Hashem is interested that everybody will make tshuva. The answer is yes, of course. But it has to be justice in a system has to be justice. If a person only made sin to himself and made sure not to influence other Jews to go in his bad way, it cannot be that his difficulty of making tshuva will be just as much as someone who influenced thousands to go against Hashem. It's not fair. So the answer is, then this, for that person who made other commit sins, it's much more difficult. Plus, there is another reason for it. Let's say he became religious. But there are hundreds or thousands of other Jews who lost their eternity because of him. Is that fair? Just because he made tshuva a year or two before he died, somebody like this will have it easy? So Hashem makes it very difficult for him to make tshuva. Almost no help. And also you should know very important rule in tshuva, this is how it works. Every Jew has opportunities in his life to make tshuva. Tshuva means to make full repentance. The first opportunity that a person gets in his life, it's not equal. Not every Jew has the same opportunities. For instance, a Jew that grew up in a kibbutz, or in Las Vegas, or San Francisco, or who knows, places that are hardly any Judaism over there. And somebody like this, 
never felt like a Jew in his life. He went to elementary school, to public school, to college, whatever he did, all his life was like a goy. One day he decided that what's going on here, and he started to inquire and check and learn. It's very difficult for him, but he started. Now, somebody like this that has the first opportunity, let's say he's 20 years old and he found out uh, one rabbi spoke to him next to college, he went to a party and one religious guy sat next to him and spoke to him, somebody gave him a CD. He had an opportunity now and he saw the truth. He said, that's the truth. There's nothing I can argue with. It's 100% making sense. And he did not pursue, he did not follow. He just listened, enjoyed it. The next day he went back to his phony life and finished. If he would make repentance on that day, that tshuva, he would have 100% assistance from Hashem. It would be a lot easier than later. Since he did not take that opportunity, he may have more opportunities. Maybe yes, maybe not. Only Hashem knows why and how many times he will help a Jew to make tshuva. So the next time he won't have 100% help. It could be only 95 or 90 or 80. Hashem knows how to calculate. First time it was very easy for you. You did not do it. Now, next time I'm not helping you as I was helping you before. So it's only 80%. It's much harder. The third time, only 50%. Much harder. After six, seven times, then there's almost no assistance. He has to do everything on his own. No help, no messengers, it's very difficult where he lives, there's no minyan, no learning, no rabbi, his wife is against it. The whole world is against him. His parents fighting with him, everybody, you know, so everywhere he goes, he has resistance. He has to be very strong to make it on his own. That's called, En maspikim beyadola asot tshuva. You want, and Hashem is resisting you. As before, he was ready to help you and do almost everything for you. Now you feel that everything is very difficult. Most of these people just don't make it. They start, and after a few months, they say, you see them on the street, no yamaka, no tzitzi. What happened, Moshe? What happened? Ah, it was too difficult for me. I didn't like it. I felt I'm miserable. All kinds of excuses, and that's the, that's the reason. You should know that. So that means every opportunity that a person has, he has to take it right away and not delay it for later for few reasons. One is what I just mentioned. And second, maybe he will die tomorrow. Maybe he will die tomorrow. So, you know, so basically this is what's going on here. A person doesn't know how long he's going to live. So because of that, he has to do it right away. That's what we finished last week. We gave an example from Moshe Rabbeinu that he made mitzvot and taught the nation of Israel to make mitzvot. So the Torah called the Torah Torat Moshe, the Torah of Moshe. Moshe didn't make it up. He only copied from what Hashem told him. But Hashem called the Torah Torat Moshe, the Torah of Moshe. Why? It's called after him because he's the first one who used it and told it to others. Fine. On the other hand, there was a king. His name was Yerovam ben Navat was a wicked king, one of the four kings that the Gemara mentioned that there's no share to the world to come. And he was choteh umachti. He's making sins and convincing others to make sins. And it's all because of his ego, his pride. He was a very proud person. The Chazal te teaching us that he knew on every topic in the Torah he could, he could give a lecture, 127 different lectures. Just about that uh, 
that topic from different direction. Each one is different than the other, with his brilliance and knowledge in Torah. He knew everything, and in the end, what happened is, in his time, there was two kings, the kings of Judah, the king of Israel. And King Rechavam is from the descendants of David HaMelech, was sitting in Yerushalayim. And when he was sitting, there was the only king from the family of David were allowed to sit in Bet HaMikdash in Azara. No other people are allowed there. So therefore, King Rechavam was sitting inside Bet HaMikdash in a regal, in a festival, three times a year when all the Jews go to Yerushalayim. So he was the main king, he's sitting. And if Yerovam would come from the area of Tel Aviv, from the center, he would have to go all the way to Yerushalayim, he would have to stand. And everybody would know this king is the, is the main one, and this one is standing on the side, so he's not the main one. For that, he put idols in the center of Israel on the way to Yerushalayim, and he said, nobody has to go to Yerushalayim. You can worship those idols, and we'll count like you're going to Yerushalayim. That's how he did it. And it's only for his pride and ego. The Gemara says that after all he had so much knowledge and Hashem came to him and said to him make tshuva, chazor becha, repent and you and me and David HaMelech Ben Ishai, the son of Ishai, King David will walk together in heaven hand by hand, it's an expression, an analogy and he asked, believe it or not, hard to believe, you know, all these stories have secrets in them. But he asked Hashem, who's first? Him or me? And Hashem said, him. He's first. And he said, I'm not interested. And that's how he lost his eternity. Eternity for pride. And that's the, one of the reasons that the Gemara say, Jealousy, right? Desires and honor, ego, respect, is destroying the life of a person. This is what we did last week. Today, we're going into the next Mishnah, it's the 19th Mishnah, and this is what the, the Mishnah says. Kol shlosha dvarim alalu. Every Jew that has these three traits, he is from the students of Abraham Avinu. He belongs to the category of Abraham. And if he doesn't have those three and he have a different three traits, we will we'll name them soon. He is from the students of Bilam, the prophet of the Goim, which was very wicked as we know. What are the special three things that you need to have for you to categorize yourself in a category of Abraham? What is it? Is Ayn Tova, good eye, Ruach Nemucha, low spirit, Venefesh Fala. And the nefesh of the person, it's the soul, is down to earth. What is it? Let's explain what does it mean. Ayn tova means everything he has is satisfied. I have money, I'm happy. I don't have, I'm also just as happy. Hashem wants me in this situation, very good. He wants me now rich, very good. I'm not even excited. It's a part of my test, why should I be happy? I don't have now, that's the way Hashem wants me. He's testing me like this, and now he decided to test me like this. I'm married, very good, that's the test. I'm not married, very good, very good, that's the way Hashem wants me. Why should I be upset, why should I be down, why should I be up, what's the point? The point is that I'm fulfilling Hashem's wish, I'm the happiest person on earth, that's a high level. Uh, that's called Ayn Tova. 
What does it mean, ruach nemucha? Humbled. Very humbled. You disrespect me? Fine. You didn't say hello to me? Fine. You put me to sit in a wedding with my back to the band? Fine. I brought you a thousand dollars to your wedding and you only brought me two hundred? No problem. Fine. Everything is fine. Yeah? You understand what's the point here or not? Uh, my father bought me this car and he bought my brother a ten times better car? Very good. Fine. Better than nothing. He doesn't owe me anything. That's called humble, down to earth. That's why somebody like this hardly ever get angry. Why? He doesn't develop expectation. We always say, according to the expectations, that's how much the disappointments are. If you develop high, ho high hopes, high expectation with people, this guy is going to help me in business, he's a genius, he knows what to do, with his connection I'm going to make it very fast. You build up a building like the Empire State Building, and in the end, the guy helps a little bit. It crushes you. Why? Because you develop such expectation from him, that no matter what he does for you, be disappointed. If you come to somebody to ask for donation, and you think, yeah, probably give me a dollar, then whatever he gives you, you won't be disappointed. But if you come in to his mansion and thinking he's going to give you $10,000, in the end he gives you 180 you don't sleep for a week after. Why? What am I going to do? I was sure that he's going to help me out. What am I going to do? This is the problem with a person's expectation. So this is it. So we got to be very careful how much we're expecting from people. And Bezrat Hashem, you know, if we don't develop any expectation, we should never be disappointed. That's called down to earth, humble. What's the third thing? The third thing is nefesh shfala. What does he mean nefesh shfala? Does not run after desires and temptations that are around him. He's not after money, he's not after women, he's not after food. Today, the way the kids are growing in this country and most of the free world, or the advanced country, it's such a poison, such a disaster, that basically, from the minute they are born, you destroy them minute by minute with the, with the habits that we develop, we leave them no chance to be righteous. Unless, if it's a very, very special soul, something divine from previous reincarnations, that will do it on his own, because he's somebody very, very special, Every ordinary kid that is growing today, what's around him, has no chance to be righteous. Why? Game boys, videos, fancy cars, vacation, camps, summer vacation, winter vacation, this, that clothing, this kind of shoes. So basically he, he learns with the, he, he grows up with a way to think, this is what life is all about. Look, everyone's talking about it. Everyone talks about the vacation. Everyone talks about this. Everyone talks about the new video and the new phone and the new car and the new thing. That's what I hear all the time. Everywhere I go, I sit in a wedding with my cousin. That's what they talk about. Not to talk about the sports and the other disasters around us. No, go and expect your kids to love to learn Torah and to, to do mitzvot. Why do you blame them for? You show them all this garbage and the poison around, and then you wonder why they're not interested. <laughs> what do you expect? The more you put them with the goyim around you, the more they're going to be like this goyim. There's nothing else you can do. The more you take them away from this environment, the more chance you have. Very simple, no miracles. Based on what you do, that's what you get. So, 
that's called Ruach Nemucha, which means it's not running after pleasures. That's not what I'm here for. I have to focus on my mission in life. Did I come here to eat and to be a pig? Or I came here to fulfill something? Or to earn something? What did I come for? If a person comes to work and all he cares about is the condition in the store. The air condition works, doesn't work. The food is tasty, the lunch, or not tasty. Uh, does he like the transportation over there, or he has to walk two blocks? Why are you quitting? I don't like my boss. I don't know, he's not such a nice person. Do you have another job? No, I'm going to look. We have a rule. You never throw dirty water until you get clean water instead. Doesn't matter how dirty they are. Do you have different water? No, so just say what you have. I get every week questions from people. My boss gives me hard time, so I'm quitting. I'm telling him tomorrow I'm quitting, and I'm going to look for another job. Couldn't be more foolish than that. In an economy like today, it's a clear miracle to find a job, any job. A job of a slave, it's a miracle, already. So, Whatever you are, a receptionist, they pay you $10 an hour, $5, whatever it is, I don't know, maybe a slave salary. Yeah, I agree that they're taking advantage on you. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a fool. I know what's going on here. But do you have something better yet? So how do you consider to leave? Two or three months you won't work, you'll be bankrupt. You're going to start knocking on doors. Give me food. My kids are dying. You understand? So first, find... Then you have to compare. What do I have now? What do I have the new one? It pays to live. But most of the people who quit their job, is not, it's not because of a good reasons. It's all ego. My boss is not giving me enough respect. I'm here for 10 years. Somebody is here 4 years. He already got promoted and I'm nothing. Yes, it's annoying. I'm not saying no. You know, you don't sit and enjoy that somebody came five years after you is already your boss. But the bottom line is you need to bring money to live. You're bringing it from this job? Yes, right? So what's the point? If you have something better, consider. If not, there's nothing even to consider. So let's move on. What are the three things to become in a category of Bilam, God forbid? Bilam. What is it? Ein Ra, the opposite of Ein Tova. Avram, good eye, Bilam, bad eye. What does it mean, Ein Ra? Full of jealousy. Everyone who has something, he suffers. His friend got a car, all day he's thinking, how will I come to my friend's car to scratch it and destroy it, that nobody catch me? You think I'm exaggerating? Go in Israel and check. How many people got a brand new car and it didn't get a massive scratch in the first week after they brought it to the driveway? Find me one. Why? Somebody passed by. Huh? That's what the, the car he got? I can't see it. I'm, getting, I'm, I'm waiting an hour for the bus every morning and he's going to drive this car. I'll die and I won't let it happen. And the guy comes, wow, who did it? Not to talk if you have enemies, Bhlal. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I once told you the story, it's a million dollar story. I don't know if you remember. <laughs> it's a long time ago. One guy is driving a truck, cement truck. You know those trucks that have this mixer of cements, they always drive to construction site. He's an angry person. He has a private house in Israel. 
And he hates that people park too close to his driveway. Why? Because it's very difficult to him to go with the, with the big long truck in reverse into his driveway. So if the cars are too close to the driveway, it makes it more difficult for him. And he doesn't have patience, this guy. So there's a sign there, do not block driveway. So one, so he come home, not only the driveway is blocked, there's a brand new car parking inside his driveway. I say, you know, I see chutzpah in my life, but something like this, I'm going to teach this guy a lesson. He goes reverse with his truck, he opened the cement in the back, he pour all the cement on the roof of this brand new car. A pile of, of wet cement, then he takes a shovel, he goes, he sm smash the cement on the sides, on the door, on the hood, on the trunk. Make sure this driver will never be able to drive this car ever again, not to mess with me in my own property. After 15-20 minutes that he sweat, he makes sure that this car is finished. Now he feels great. He, he, he goes inside, he turns the light on. 200 people in the house, balloons. <laughs> Surprise! Happy anniversary! Dad! It's all the son. He has five, six kids. He hands him a brand new key. Say, Dad, your dream came through. We finally got you the, a brand new car that you don't have to suffer with this truck. He said, the car in the driveway, it's mine. Say, yeah, mazal tov. <laughs> Good thing he didn't have a gun. Believe me, he would shoot his head. Everything you do to others, you do to yourself. Eh, what do you think? You can hurt somebody innocent and go and get away with that. That's what some people think. That's why you have all kinds of people, they kidnap people, they torture them. All kinds of things they do to innocent people. Uh, I'm not talking about all the other things out there. And they think nobody's watching. Nobody's watching. They'll have a very bitter surprise and eventually that they have to pay for every torture that they did to others. It definitely won't be pleasant. What's the next thing? Ruach Kvoa. What does it mean, Ruach Kvoa? Exactly the opposite of low spirit, which means pride. What am I going to wear to the wedding tonight? How will I, hand, how will I lay my jacket on the chair that all my friends will realize what kind of suit I'm wearing? How do I make sure that everybody will notice that I bought a, a brand new uh, Mercedes or something? I put the key here, then I move it here. You know these women that all day goes like this because they got a new ring? <laughs> like this. Why she's going like this? She's always thinking, who saw it? Did she see? Did she see? Tell her. Don't, but don't tell her I told you. All day that's what they're thinking about. Show off. Show off. One foolish woman in Israel, she grew up very poor. And then she all of a sudden went to Africa and she met one very bad king, a, a massive murderer. The United States put him in a blacklist of one of these dictators that depress his people and steal their money, like Saddam. So he's on a requested list. But she, she somehow found a way to do business with him. She became a billionaire. Now her daughter got married. 
None of the catering places in Israel are fancy enough for her. And I promise you, there are very fancy places there. Like everywhere else. But it's not enough. I, I need something special. You know? I'm not just another wealthy woman. And she's such a low life. Her intelligence is below zero. Her IQ is a thousand negative. She doesn't even know how to speak Hebrew. Her own language. Aggressive, arrogant, much like from the, from the worst thing you can think of. And she, made, she took a place and she redesigned the whole place like Venice. You know, with water, <laughs> maybe a million dollars she paid just to decorate the place. Uh, I, I don't know if to laugh or to cry. Really, we should be sitting and crying for her. Now, somebody like her, I wanted to make my daughter happy. Beloni, your daughter, do you only care about the show-off? What people's going to say about our wedding? I don't want another wedding by the pool. There's too many of those. We want to do something, Rabbi, that everybody will never forget our special day. This is sick people. Mental disease, 100%. So, somebody like this is in a category of Bilam. No wonder. And, what's the third thing? Nefesh Rechava. What does it mean, Nefesh Rechava? Full of desires. Just live to eat. Don't eat to live. Live to eat. What's the only reason I'm alive? What is the next toy I'm gonna buy? You know these people that every two months replace a car? A new boat came out. Right away he put for sale on his boat. Go, first he buys the new one, then he puts this for... Every watch comes out, he runs to buy. Why? Desire. Always feel empty, empty. So I have to get something. It kills me. My life is so empty. I must, I'm depressed, I gotta buy, you know, you know, some women, the only way you see a smile when they go shopping. They have a day or two, <laughs> like my friend said to his wife, How did you forget to pay the mortgage? You ruined my credit after 20 years! <laughs> so she started to mumble, I'm sorry, forgive me, I know you're right, you see. So then he said, how come you never forgot the way to the mall? <laughs> The way to the mall, you can close your eyes and get there, in the middle of the night. <laughs> Cannot live without it. <laughs> That's it. Bilam. Category of Bilam. Okay, no. What's the difference in the end between the category of Abraham and the category of Bilam? Talmidav shel Avraham Avinu ochlim ba'olam hazeh The students of Avraham Avinu, they're happy in this world more than those who runs after desires. Whatever they have here, they're happy. Why? As we said, whatever they have, they're very satisfied. So they'll never feel miserable. People create their own misery. People create their own misery. 99.9% .9 of your suffering comes from your mind. You made it. Either that you don't have faith, you don't have emunah, you're greedy, you're jealous, you're doing it to yourself. Change your character and you never suffer. So the students of Abraham Avinu, they enjoy this life and they have a share to life of eternity full of pleasures. Yes, in numeric value, it's 310 different worlds of pleasure of the righteous Jews in the next life. 
God says, I will fill their treasures with all the greatest things that you can think of. Otsar, treasure. What's going to be the end of the category of Bilam? Bilam, the wicked Bilam. They go to hell. They suffer there forever, each one according to his sins. And don't have one minute of pleasure in this life. Because it's all temporary. You see, everything that a person enjoys in this physical, materialistic world, it's only a temporary pleasure. Two weeks, three weeks, and it's over. And even the pleasure, it's never perfect. It's never perfect. Even a person buys furniture. What's the first thing happen as soon as they deliver it to the house? The movers broke some leg of a chair. The piano has a scratch. The refrigerator door came out of there. Why is it? Why? You can never get a delivery of moving perfect. Never. The best moving company, they always make a damage. Why is it? Because Hashem wants to wake us up. Don't be addicted to this phony world. Rabbi, look at the art that I bought. Once a month I go to the auction, I buy the best art. And what, is, what do you get from that? Remember we spoke about the woman that bought a statue for $104 million? Religious woman. Shomer Shabbos. $104 million a statue. If you see it in a garbage, you don't pick it up. That's how ugly it is. What made it $104 million? Idiots! The world is full of them. And not one idiot scream million. Uh, his friend wanted to be more idiot than him. You know, it's in style. <laughs> Two, three, ten, twenty, and then the next auction. And everybody try to be the biggest fool. They don't even realize. You put it in the garbage, nobody will pick it up. If you don't believe me, give me any art that you want. Any art that is very famous, we'll change the name. We'll take the Picasso off, we put Alibaba and put it in the auction. And they say, Mustafa Ibn Alibaba made that picture. How much? $18, you $25. $1,000, you're very generous, sir. Take it, the Alibaba off, put Picasso, I don't know, whatever their names are. You put it, oh, a hundred million, what's, what's the difference? It's all a show, it's all fake. Same thing, the suits. Take a beautiful suit. And oh, Rabbi, it's the quality. Fine. Take a suit that doesn't have a bombastic name. Good quality suit. How much? Two hundred dollars? That's it. Right? They sell in Marshalls, very nice, good Italian suit, 120, 140, uh, you know, great, good uh, wool, nice, shiny, whatever you want. But it's not a, a very special name. Take the tag out, put a different tag, and put it in the market. Ten times more. Right away, why? It's all fake. Fake life. Same thing, real estate. Real estate. What, what's what, what, real estate? My friend owned a building in 125th Street. You know, right there in the center of the Balagan. His building many years ago was worth $4 million. One day he calls me up, he feels like he won the lottery. Why? Ah, my dream comes true. I'll be a very rich man. I say what? He say, Bill Clinton is moving across the street from me. He just finished to be a president. He went to a private life. 
he decided to take the building across the street. Special security, special entrance, going from a tunnel, I don't know, whatever the baloney over there. <laughs> His building jumped to 12 million <laughs> in a week. So I said, this is all phony word, what? A person that was cheating on his wife and doing, and is, 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 is a mental, mentally ill person, he brings the level of a building up, if any, he should put the building to the garbage. Who wants to be a neighbor of a person that cheats on his wife and every girl that walks on the street is like a wolf? Cannot control himself. He's a hero? What is this? Ah, well, he was the president. This is all phony. Nobody has the guts to say the truth. The truth is that if, if people would live according to the Torah, somebody like this can never be a president. Can never be a president. He deserves to give us an example. What is he? A great husband? A loyal person? He never lies, he never cheats, he never steals money under the ground. Not only him, I'm just giving an example. Almost every politician. As soon as they get the job, they begin to steal until the moment they're not going to be there. Why? They know I'm only a year or two or five. I'll take advantage on every opportunity I can. They start making phony corporations, phony names. Uh, you want, uh, they make beads. You know, who's going to do the transportation for New York City for the next year? There's hundreds of companies. Somebody calls him up, hey, how about five million dollar gift? Let's come talk about it in my yacht. Tonight, eight o'clock, meet me by the marine. They see, they drink good wine, very good. Okay, the five million is ready to be wired. Just give me an account number, give us the bid, everything will be fine. Anyway, the, the kids need to go to school, no? So why do you care that I'll do the transportation? <laughs> That's how it works. Everywhere, everywhere you go, it's all corruption. Why? The only way to avoid corruption is not to put FBI and police and secret service. You see that it doesn't help. The corruption becomes double and triple every week, every month. There's no end to it. The only way to avoid it is to educate the people. You are here for X amount of years and God is watching you. And you're going to pay for every penny you steal, big time. Then people will realize, what's the point of stealing? What's the point? If you know that the FBI is watching you and recording you and checking, monitoring your account, would you steal? Let's say you stole and you put it in your account. You're not going to enjoy from it anyway. So what's the point? Since you know you're not going to end up with that money, you won't steal. Same thing, if a person or Hashem is watching me, I'm going to pay for it. So what's the point of running after stolen things? What's the point? There's no emunah. Everyone denies the truth. And that's how the society looks. It's all corrupted. That's the category of Bilam and all his students. The next Mishnah, Mishnah 20th. Yehuda ben Temas said, Yehuda ben, that's a famous Mishnah, we say it every morning in a prayer. Be strong like the leopard. You come to attack the leopard, the leopard doesn't give up. You cannot. What are you going to do? What's, why a person has to be brave and strong? Why? Because when a person becomes religious and is strict in the Torah and the mitzvot, he dresses in a certain way, he doesn't eat certain things, the wife becomes very modest. So they're not fashion. Rabbi, it's not fashion. You know, yeah, I'll be religious, I'm going to look like this. It's not for me, you know, right now I feel very good, I go with my friends, I do here, I go there. 
Once I'm going to be religious, I'm, I'm going to have to change my whole life. That's the way people think. People would laugh at me. He goes to work, he takes his yarmulke off. Why? He's embarrassed from his clown friends. What are you worried about your friends? Today they're here, tomorrow they're going to hell for thousands of years. They're going to save you or help you when you come to your tribe? What are you going to say? I took off my yarmulke, I was embarrassed for my cousin and my friend and my, and my grandfather. I didn't want him to see me like this. Or some ladies, they modest all the time until they have a wedding. When they have a wedding, she becomes a model. Rabbi, it's only for two hours. You know, my cousin come from all over. I don't, like, I don't feel comfortable that they see me like this. That's the test. Now it's the real test. When you're home with the kids, you cover your hair, and you wear a white uh, gown, whatever it is. That's not a test. To be modest to the walls, very nice. To the fish in the aquarium, also very nice to be modest. To your husband, also very nice. Now when you go to the wedding, now we'll see if you're real or you're fake. That's real, when you have a test. When there's no test, <laughs> Rabbi, I'm very modest. 99% of the time, yeah, because there's only 1% of the time that you're really in a test. And you're constantly failing. And that's what's going on. So the, the Mishnah says, mean, Don't be afraid of anyone. Jump into the water when it's necessary and don't care that they laugh at you, yes or no. Because that's the truth. What's the next thing? Vekal kanesher. Light like an eagle. To the best of my knowledge, eagle is the heaviest bird from all the birds. Why the Mishnah say, be light like an eagle? An eagle is very heavy. They should have said, be light like a crow. It's a much smaller bird. Or all these little doves and pigeons. You know, some, some birds are smaller than your palm. Very small. If you, if you press too much, you smash the head. Very small birds. Choose one small bird that is very light and give me an example. Be like this bird. From all the birds, you take the eagle. The answer is, why Chazal from thousands of birds, they chose the eagle to give, them an, to give us an example from the eagle? Because even though the eagle is the heaviest bird, it's fly the highest in relation to the body size and the weight the performance of the eagle is the best so it doesn't matter if you light like a small bird the bird was born like that and stay like this all its life that's the nature of that bird when you're huge and heavy and you fly like a little bird you light that's impressive that's why they use an example of the nesher don't be lazy. When you need to sweat, you sweat. Oh, it's too hard for me. Slichot, Rabbi, to get another hour, I can sleep all day. I'm not functioning in a business. You know, it's hard. I'm a teacher. It's hard for me to think. Excuses I can give you from here until Japan. But you know the truth. Veratzka Tzvi. You know Tzvi, the deer, how great the deer runs jumping, like in a second. In one second, the deer can go five blocks. It's very fast. But there is a, an animal from the same family. It's called Ofer. It's run even faster than the Tzvi. Ayala, Ayala, runs faster than the Tzvi. They're all in the same family. They all look the same. Why they use the Tzvi? The answer is, 
because the tzvi runs very fast, not the fastest, but every few minutes it stops, it pauses, and it looks around. Check back to see what's going on, and continue to run and look around. All the other animals, when they run from the leopard or from the tiger or from the whatever it is, they run non-stop until they lose their energy, that's it, they fall somewhere. This animal is clever. It runs, 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 stop, look around, see what's going on, and decide what to do. Uh, Mishnah wants to tell you, run, run in Avodat Hashem. Be a great servant of Hashem. Run as fast as possible. Rabbi, it's not good to become religious too fast. Slowly, slowly, poco, poco, step by step, Rabbi. It's important, you need foundation. You cannot be in one day uh, the chief rabbi of the city, eh? like some people think. But at the same time, I know people that they are becoming religious 10 years the same thing. From the day he found the truth until today, 10 years the same thing. Same quarter yamaka, same pink shirts, same earring here. He keeps Shabbat a little bit. No, what's with you? 10 years? What? Where? Get up already! Why? You want to stay half goy for the rest of your life? Rabbi, what's the problem? I cannot have earring. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai had earring? Rabbi Akiva or Moshe Rabbeinu had earring? Or tattoo? Or ponytail? Who are you fooling? This is your model? This Puerto Rican model or singer that came on a, on a TV and you tried to imitate him? I remember my cousin used to ask to send me letters, as in the primitive days. Today everything emailed, one, two, three, you get it. I used to sit two, three weeks until the next letter. I was asking him about this music, that all this famous music of all these rock stars, how a person can get out of it. A person enjoys to listen to it, he feels, ah, you know, it relaxes me, this music. So he wrote to me, the fact that you finally acknowledge that it's a danger to the soul and you have to do everything to get rid of it shows that you're already going to get rid of it very soon because you acknowledge the problem you detect the problem that it's a problem if a person realizes cigarette is killer then there's a chance to quit if he doesn't, he's not aware of it mm, I enjoy it, Rabbi my life is worthless without it I know somebody told me I don't want to quit what kind of life I'm going to have without it? Why do you answer somebody like this? Do you live to smoke? Why do you a dog? Well, even the dogs don't smoke. I can't live without it. Rabbi, after the meal I must have one. If not, I'm ready to kill someone. No. person like this expect to go to heaven? What is he going to say in his tribe? Cigarettes was my direction in life? They decided where I'm going to go, or the drugs, or the alcohol. You know, you know what I'm talking about. What's the next thing? Gibor Kaari. The lion, nobody mess with the lion. Lion is the king of the animals, no? Lion king. He's a real king. He even has hair like a crown on his head. But what's special about, did you ever hear the lion roar? In Israel, you have the safari in Ramat Gan. One rabbi always knew that the, the, the Gemara and the Mishnah always used the lion as an example of a very loud voice. 
but he never realized how serious it is to stand next to a lion when he really roars. Now you know at night it's triple. During the day the sun cuts the voice waves. The waves go like this and the sun cuts it. But at night then the sun doesn't sense any light, so it doesn't cut the voice. That's why at night, you can speak to somebody across the street, you don't have to scream. He hears you very well. And during the day, you have to raise your voice. It's harder. So, you know, so he, one time he was standing right by the by fence of the, of the safari at night. He didn't know that right above, right beyond that wall, the lions are right there. All of a sudden, he heard the lion makes noise. He said, I felt for five minutes my blood was frozen in a body, I couldn't move. How loud and scary is the voice of the lion. As soon as he makes noise, that's it, you freeze. You cannot move. That's why the lion has this reputation. So, what's the end of this Mishnah? אז פנים לגיהנום ובושת פנים לגן עדן. Conclusion, someone who is arrogant, has chutzpah, has no shame, is not embarrassed of anything. Always think people owe me, expect everybody to serve him, egoistic, all this negative that a person can have, pride, ego, laziness, anger, laughing at people, making fun at people, has no mercy on anyone. All this combination of all the negative, ugly traits expressed to hell. Why he did not correct his traits. The whole Torah was given for us to take the negative and get rid of it. Get rid of all the negative spirituality that you have. And someone who did it, which means he came to a, to a, to a situation that is humbled, and he has a shame, he's embarrassed, he goes to sleep in someone's house, first thing he gets up in the morning, he tries not to make noise, that the people that host him, they won't wake up. If he goes to make coffee at the night before, he asks permission, can I use your coffee or something, or he drank coffee, he washed his cup, he fixed the blankets. This, you don't need Torah for that. It's human being or an animal. Before we talk about religion, that applies to Arabs, to Chinese, to every human being. You know? So, here you begin to check if the person is a human being first. Before you check if he's religious, righteous, wicked, before. One rabbi came to visit his student in the Yeshiva Gedola. He moved to ninth grade. And let's say he was there a year or two. And one day that rabbi passed by. And he said, where is my student? Where is his dorm? So they say he's going, he's on the second floor, room number seven. So he went to the room and the student was learning in yeshiva. I wasn't there in the middle of the day. He said, can you open me the door? I just want to take a look in his room. So he said, Rabbi, no, wait for lunch. You meet him, you talk to him, you see how, how advanced he became. He said, no, no, I don't need to talk to him and test him how much he knows. I just want to take one look on his room, that's all. He said, open, open the door, he looks at the room, he said, ah, Baruch Hashem, I know he's a tzaddik. Well, how did you see? I saw everything is in order, everything is clean, no dirt, the garbage bag is not all over, the bathroom is clean, the blanket is folded, the clothes, that means this person has discipline. If I didn't see it, then I know for sure it's not in the right direction. Now when I saw it, there's a chance it's a tzaddik. 
This is where it starts. What do you think? That's the, that's how it is. A person has discipline. You can you know sometimes you go to the kids' room. It's like entering hell. Ten pairs of jeans on the floor, fifty different shoes, sneakers. This here on the bed, on the floor, a, a bowl of soup from a week ago. Uh, oh, posters all over. I mean, everything is ripped. How to believe what's going on there? Five, ten minutes of efforts, he makes it clean like a pharmacy. But it's an animal. What do you expect from him? It's an animal. So, Boshet Vanim Leganeden. The 21st Mishnah of this chapter, Uaya Omer, is continuing with Rabbi Yehuda ben Tema. Ben Chamesh Shanim Lamikra, when a kid is five years old, five years old, you begin to teach him Aleph Bet, you begin to teach him the foundation of the Torah. Teach him Aleph Bet how to read, five years old what we call today pre-1A. They start to teach them alphabet and how to read. Basic reading. Basic reading. With nekudot, with things. Then, Ben Esther la Mishnah, when he's 10 years old, you begin to teach him Mishnah. Mishnayot, with, with the interpretation of the Mishnayot. Ben Shloshesre la Mitzvot, 13 years old, is to Bar Mitzvah. He's obligated now to keep Mitzvot 100%. Ben Chamesh Esrela Talmud, 15 years old, you start teaching him Gemara. We're talking about average people. Average. Not talking about a genius boy. You can teach him Gemara when he's 10 already. If he's a genius, uh, superior brain, right away catch everything, or he's mature. Every kid is different, but average. Average, when is the age to start? 15. Today, they do it even earlier, because, you know, Today we have the books, we have everything printed, like in the old days it was all by art. No, but not, no, not every student has Gemara with printed, with Nekudot, with art scroll, to English. Today it's very easy to learn. In the old days it's all by art. The Rebbe has a Gemara and everybody by art. Rav Mordechai Sharabi Alana Shalom 20 years ago was teaching Gemara without a Gemara. By art. They have Gemarot, some of the students, two or three on a Gemara, and he's saying everything by art. You know, the Rav Ovadia Yosef, they made a joke. Somebody came and asked him, Rabbi, they said that you know the entire Gemara by heart, the entire Torah. So he said, ah, don't exaggerate, only half. So half, very impressive, half, which half? So whichever one you want. <laughs> it's a joke, it never happened. But the joke tells us who we are talking about. Nobody said jokes like this about me and you, <laughs> right? When somebody will tell jokes like this about us, we know we made it. We're still far from it. You know, I told you the story. One husband and wife were arguing if to buy a brand new car or not. You heard that? I said it two or three weeks ago. So, the wife wants a brand new car. Her husband made a lot of money in business. So she's tired of driving this Trante. In Hebrew we say Trante. You know, a car that you never know if you get his destination. <laughs> he starts driving. You need a lot of tailiff that the car will make it. The window doesn't work. The radiator, smoke's coming. Check engine. 
everything over there sometimes works, sometimes no. If it's raining, for three weeks you can use the car. <laughs> I have a car like this. <laughs> if you make it, you have to say Alel to Hashem. <laughs> Every day something else. So, <laughs> so the wife got tired of it. So she tells her husband, don't be stingy. Let's buy a brand new nice car for the next 10 years. I don't want a headache. Say, no, no, we'll buy a car, but nothing fancy. I don't want brand new. I don't want fair. Something not, that doesn't attract too much attention. So they're arguing for days. It's already a divorce soon. So they decided to go to Rav Steinman, big tzaddik, a hundred years old, in Bnei Brak. So Rav Steinman asked, why, do you, why you don't want to buy a new car? To make your wife happy. So Rabbi, you know, it's going to start to attract attention, Ainara, and plus we live in the area that everybody is learning in yeshiva, they're not rich. Why should I buy a fancy car? I don't feel comfortable. So the rabbi asked him, listen, can I test you on the entire Gemara? Do you know the entire Gemara? I can test you on all the pages? So, oh, no, rabbi, I'm not such a... So, okay, okay, forget the whole Gemara. One chapter, one Masechet, I can... One Masechet, I can test you on? One, like Shabbos, Brachot, Kiddushin, one Masechet. Uh, no, 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 I cannot, you cannot test me on one Masechet, it's still too much for me. So, okay, one chapter. Not the whole master. One chapter, like 15, 20 pages. Can I test you on that? One chapter. This is an older person in his 50s. He said, no, no, Rabbi, one chapter is still too much. So, okay, okay. One page. One page in the Gemara. From the beginning to the end of the page. One page. What is one page? 20 rows? 20 lines? 20 lines with Rashi and a little bit of thought. I can test you on one page. You know one page good. So he started to, mm, yeah. The rabbi told him, you can buy any car you want, don't worry. Nobody, will, nobody has a reason to be jealous with someone like you. <laughs> Just go buy a car. Go, go. You worry, people will be jealous with you, Ainara. You are a dead person. You're 55 years old, you don't know one page of Gemara. What did you do in your life? Such a loser. Doesn't know one page of Gemara, you're talking to me if to buy a car or not. You can buy the Empire State Building. Anyway, you live only here. What do you have? What are you going to come to Hashem and say? No, 40 days of speech. That's how it starts. You have to speak 40 days Torah. From morning to night, 40 days. Uh, I? I listen to a few lectures in Torah anytime. <laughs> okay, no, let's hear. No, Rabbi, but you know, it was on and off because I was working, you know, and they, my boss called me. Come on, my friend. Every day you have to start your day. Shachrit and Limud. Learning every day. In Judaism, education is to every Jew until the moment he closes his eyes permanently. A Jew that doesn't learn Torah every day is the biggest criminal in the world. Did you know it? The reward for the learning Torah is the biggest reward. The punishment for not learning daily for men is the biggest punishment. Read in the Rambam, Ilchot Talmud Torah, what the Rambam writes. A person is dead in two minutes. In two minutes, that's it. He must learn Torah. He knocks on doors, begging people, give me food, my kids are starving at home. Food, food, I'm dying. Donations, give me. He still must learn Torah that day. Ah, but the kids will starve. It does not prevent the obligation from learning Torah. 
person has leprosy. You know, leprosy, all his body is pus, itching, bugs are itching him. Woof, like Nachum Ishgamzo. All his body is pus all over. He cannot focus for a second, he cannot eat. Why? He has to eat all the time. Must learn Torah. Everyone. Rich, poor, genius, stupid, everybody. Must learn Torah. That's the first obligation. Why? If you don't learn Torah, you are worse than an animal, Hashem says. One person asks, Okay, Rabbi, I understand. Everybody has to learn Torah. The first question in a trial of a Jew, first question, did you set up daily hours to learn Torah every day? Did you have a schedule to start your day with Torah? Every Jew, first question he hears from Hashem is this. I understand if you ask a Jew that learns Torah when he was a kid, he grew up in Yeshiva, then he went to Mesifta, he went to Kolel, Age 25, he went to business, then he started to cheat. One day he learns, two days he's off. Business, vacation, whatever. No, as I understand why Hashem asked him, did you set up time every day to learn Torah? You know the truth. But somebody like Ben-Gurion, the, the first prime minister of Israel, a communist, anti-religion, hates Hashem, hates the Torah, hates people with peot, with beard, hates everything that smells like religion. Somebody like him that eats shrimps and worms and mechalel Shabbat, you ask him if he said daily time for Torah? It's a joke. What are you asking him about Torah? What is he know from his life, this guy? That's one of the students asked the rabbi. He said, you want to tell me, this is in the old days, this is 50 years ago. Rabbi, you want to tell me that him, Hashem will ask him if he said time for learning Torah? Ask him why they cut the peos for the Yemenite people. Ask him why you shot on the boat Altalena and killed 16 Jews after months in the ocean when they came from Europe to Israel because you didn't want to have problems with the British soldiers. You killed your own brothers. Ask him why you murdered Jews. Ask him why you... Ask him this question. Why are you asking him why he didn't learn Torah? The rabbi answer. That's the first question you ask him. Why you didn't learn Torah? Why? If you would learn every morning Torah, you would never do, dare to shoot the Jews. Even if the British would hang you, you wouldn't shoot other Jews, because the Torah says, if a guy tell you kill somebody else, so I kill you, you have to die. You're not allowed to kill another Jew. Yaharek velo yavor. Tell you to bow down to an idol or make a sex crime, you have to die and not to agree. Everything else you have to do not to die. Though free, you have to die and not agree. So no matter what, you would never dare, if you learn Torah, to become a murderer. Just because you want to look nice in the British government, they ruled Israel in those days. Who cares about them? You know, you know hard to believe. If going comes to a city of Jews, and there's a hundred thousand Jews lives there, and they say to them, the, the city is surrounded by a wall, so they cannot enter, it's locked from inside, the gates. So they send a letter, they throw a bottle with the letter inside, the Jews see, give us this Jew, uh, Avram ben Yitzchak. Send him out, we want to take him with us. He's, uh, he's guilty of something, whatever. 
If you send him out, we leave you alone. If not, we break the wall and we kill all of you. 100,000 people. What's the halacha? Technically, you think, of course, let's take the Jew, throw him out, let the goyim take him and kill him before they kill all of us. So we kill one Jew and we save 100,000. The Torah says, not allowed to give him that Jew. If they want, let them break in and take him on their own. That's their problem already. You don't take him and serve him to them with your hands. Why? You are murderer if you did it. Not allowed. You cannot trust their words. They'll kill you anyway. Doesn't matter. You cannot make deals with them. You cannot trust them. Well, we see today that the Torah was right. Same thing with the Arabs. Now they want to release the Israeli soldiers, Gilad Shalit. Everyone works with their heart. Nobody thinks what's going to happen. They will release a thousand Arab murderers. You put them right back in the terrorist organization. For sure. There's not a question. Maybe yes, maybe not. They'll kill more than a hundred Israelis. For sure. It's not a question. Maybe yes. Maybe we get lucky and they leave us alone. They're already saying right now. As soon as I'm out of here, I'll, I'll go back to the... Why? Even if they don't want to murder, they have no choice. The only way they're going to get a salary from Iran or from Saudi Arabia if they become a terrorist. It's the only way to make money when you live there. <laughs> Otherwise, there's unemployment 90%. It's no jobs. In Israel in general, there's not that too many jobs. In the Arab territories, forget about it. The only way to get a decent salary and live good, you and your 17 brothers, to feed everybody, to become a terrorist. That's not the way. So as soon as you release them, right away they put bombs here, they shoot on the highways, they kill. So what do you think is going to happen? As soon as they release that soldier, they'll catch another one. Why? Because they see the Israelis are cowards. It's working. What? We have another 15,000 prisoners. No, we released a thousand, let's capture another one. You think it's difficult to catch a soldier? They walk in Israel all over. The Israeli Arabs, they're all traders, almost all of them. They cooperate with them. They have Israeli ID. Every week they catch another citizen of Israel that's born in Israel. He has an ID, Israeli passport. Like the one that just murdered in America. You heard about it? They say on the news, Israeli. It's not Israeli. It's some Abu something, Abu Azam. It's Arab. But for them it's Israeli. Why? He has Israeli passport. So an Arab murderer hit uh, 20 blacks and Puerto Ricans, five of them died. All over the news, Israeli mass murderer. Arab. They're afraid to say Arab, so they say Israeli. Right? We go by his passport. It's all fake, this whole thing. So what's going to be? You release him. No, but poor soldier, my heart goes for him. But the, the, the blood of this Jew is not more than the blood of a hundred others. Everything we have, halacha. Halakha, Halakha says you don't save one Jew and at the same time you kill another hundred because of that. And if the Goim come, you cannot make, you cannot make this kind of deals with them. You want, you go and take him. We, we cannot, uh, cannot fight against you. We are Anusim. Anus means my hand is tight. I'm not guilty. If you put handcuffs on me and push pork into my, my mouth, if not, you, br you blow my brain out. I eat it. Do I enjoy it? No, I suffer. Do I get punished for it? No, I get a reward for it. Why? Because if I wouldn't eat, and they'll kill me, then I will be guilty as murder, that I murdered myself. Why? If I would eat it, 
I wouldn't be dead. The Torah says, Elo ha-mitzvot asher yaseh otam ha-adam v'chai bahem. You're not supposed to die because you're keeping mitzvot. Only three exceptions to the rules. To murder somebody else, to bow down to an idol or any kinds of avodah zarah, and to go and make a sin with another woman. Those are the only three that for that you have to sacrifice your life and not agree to do it. Eighteen years old to the chupa to get married. You're wondering, oh, I'm already older than 18 and I'm not ready to get married. Right? Today, how people know if they're ready to get married or not? What's the first thing they check? How much money I have in my bank account? It's the last thing you have to check. Because the money comes from Hashem, whatever He gave you, He can take away from you, and whatever He didn't give you yet, He will give you. What do you say in Birkat Amazon every day, or in Tefillah? Open your arms, your hands, and, and feed every creature, right? And what do we say? Feed everyone according to His needs in the right time. That's the whole thing. Not just that everyone is eating. Gives the parnasa to a person according to the right needs. Right now you don't need it, don't worry. Rabbi, if I'm learning now in yeshiva, I'm 21, 22. Aren't I supposed to save some money in two or three years? I'm going to get married, I don't even have money for the ring. I'll show you more than 200 people in my eyes, in my yeshiva there in Monsi, that came to the yeshiva without a dollar. And at any given moment, if you check their pocket, they never had more than a hundred dollars, ever. And when the time came for them to get married, they met a girl on Shiduch, everything worked out for them. They had money for the dates, they had cars for the dates, they had a house to live, they had everything, the ring, everything they needed. They didn't make a wedding in Hilton Hotel, of course, because it's not important. What we need, we have. Everything else is extra, you kill yourself for it. What do you need? You need a ring, Hashem supply. You need a wedding gown, it's a necessary thing. You don't need a 15,000 gown. You have gowns for cheaper, as long as it's modest, no problem. Or you, can, uh, or you can rent for one night, whatever the case is. What else do you need? You need the, the $90,000 flowers, you can live without it. It's not a, in the Ten Commandments. <laughs> don't need it. Don't need it. Bye-bye, but... All my life I dream about chupa with pink flowers and roses. Keep dreaming. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? But my, all my friends married in Sheraton. I'm going to marry in a, in a school, in a yeshiva hall. Do you think Hashem is impressed how fancy is the wedding? And what video they're going to make? That's what He cares about? No, He cares if you're righteous or not. What is, what's on your mind now? Now I'm going into the most, the first mitzvah in Judaism, to get married and to have children. To be a wife, to be a husband, to take care of my wife, to take care of my husband. This is what we have to focus on. I want somebody to take care of me. I'm tired of poor guys. I've already been married to one. Now I want somebody that will take care of me. This is what you're getting married for. People have no idea what's going on here. So the point is, the point is, that how is a person 18 years old going to get married today? So the answer is, you're right. When this was written, that was 2,000 years ago. 18 years old of 2,000 years ago was like 30 years old today minimum in the mental state. 
Today, you have people, especially here in America, in Israel, people go to the army, whether they like it or not, the army makes you mature. You have no choice. They give you responsibilities. <laughs> You're not going to do what they tell you. They put you in jail. They torture you. What do you think? You're not going to get away with that. You run to your mommy, the military police comes at 2 o'clock at night, put handcuffs on you and put you in jail for 40 days. What do you think? What are you going to do? There's nothing you can do. So you are forced to become mature. You don't have no choice. They come 18 years old, you stand with your ponytail, all you know, your right away the barber come, like in the 50s, with the big primitive machine, you're bald. No. Next thing, they show you your bathroom. You come from your beautiful villa in Savion into this bathroom, a hole in the ground. They have uh, bathrooms over there from the days of Antiochus, from 2,000 years ago, it's still there. Even the flies there are 700 years old. <laughs> you need to take a shower. You know how that sometimes you go to the shower, it's all clogged. The water comes all the way to your knees. And all the bacteria of 500 soldiers that been there in the last hour. What do you think? You go to sleep with the wool blankets. 5,000 soldiers were under this blanket. Never took one laundry. Lice inside. The next thing you get up, you see lice under your skin. You go to eat. Two weeks, you're in the bathroom. You cannot come out. That's army. You have no choice, Habibi. You have to mature. But in America... Mommy and papi with a credit card and the new convertible. No, no army, no obligation. Rabbi, why you go to college? It's an opportunity to live five more years like a king and my parents pay the bill, dreaming I'm going to be something. Most students, they just go to college to satisfy their parents and let them live in illusion that one day I'm going to be a big shot. In the end, what happened to these people? They go to father, for their father's business anyway. Ah, they waste their time. But the parents know that that's going to be. But they still go with everyone. Why? They don't want to be an exception. What? My son didn't go to college? We are primitive. All my friends, they play cards with me Friday night. They all talk about their son. What am I going to say? My son is a shoeshine? <laughs> my son get up at 1 o'clock? He's a drug dealer? What am I going to say? So I have to say, he goes to this college. And what happens if... Daddy cannot get you into a good college. He'll send a nice donation to the college and they'll accept you, don't worry. If it's necessary, he'll buy the college. Not so simple, because colleges have hundreds of millions of dollars in saving, you know. It's the richest, uh, after the church, colleges in the United States are the wealthiest. Yeah, every person who dies and doesn't have who to give his money to, gives it to Harvard, to Columbia, to Yale, to Yeshiva University. That's what's going on today. You know what kind of donations they get? Huh? Mr. Stanton gave Yeshiva University a check for a hundred million dollars, one person. And that's one. There's thousands of people who give donations constantly. One Jew gave a hundred and four million dollars to NYU hospital. He was sick. They took care of him nicely. One day he developed something, uh, he had a patent on it, he invented something, he made hundreds of millions of dollars. When he died, he had 104 million, he gave all of it to them. He never heard that there are yeshivot and that so many Jewish kids cannot afford to go to yeshiva, he never heard of that. So he gave it to the hospital, no, maybe they'll take care of some Al-Qaeda terrorists and some Hamas, some of them, you know, from Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn, all those terrorists that prepare bombs to blow up 
the Empire State Building, they go to get treatment in his hospital so the Jew pay for it. That's how it goes. That's what it is. He thinks, I made a mitzvah. What? I gave it to a hospital. Depend. If they take care of righteous people in hospital, you earn something. If they take care of terrorists, you become a partner of the crime. Without your money, the terrorist will die. Thanks to your money, they saved his life. Very good. People don't think, ah, to give to a hospital rabbi is the best. Why? Some people think, okay, I'll give to orphan house. They take care of orphans. Maybe one of these orphans will be Hitler. In 20 years from now, you raised him with your own money. Why don't you help your brothers? Why? Why? They're not chosen people enough for you like the Torah says? Every nation helps their own. The Gemara says, even if the Goyim gives to, uh, to the rabbis the donations, what does the rabbi have to do with his money? They have to take the money and help other Goyim. If the Goyim come to the Jews to give them food because they're hungry, they have to make, a, 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 they have to make a, a, an account and put all the donations that they get from the Goyim, and when the Goyim comes to get help, they cannot say, no, we cannot help you. They have to help him. So what do they do? They take the money of their brothers and help them with that. Nobody does it anymore today, but this is the right way to do it. You know, so 18 years old today cannot get married. Forget about it. Unless if he's extremely mature. What they spoke about 18 years then is like 30 years old today. To wait until 30 is impossible because you make scenes. So 22, 23, 25, no, that's, what, that's when people get married today. Boys and girls. Ben Esrim, Lirdof. What does it mean, Lirdof? If he didn't get married by 20 in their old days, he has to run all day and all night to find a wife before it will be too late. Why? Because today, you can still be 30 years old woman and still get a Shiduch. 2,000 years ago, if you read 30, you, you finish. That's it. Nobody will marry you. Why? Because if you got it to 30 they, in those days, that means for, eight, for 12 years, you didn't find Shiduch, for sure something is wrong about you. Defect, you're barren, you have mental uh, illness. The person will assume already that I guess there's a reason. Unfortunately, that's the way people think. Even today, people who reach 40, 50, and they never got married, especially the girls, guys are very nervous. Huh? For this beautiful woman, she's 40 years old, you know, she's coming from a good family, she even has money, everything. What, what, what's the catch here? How can it be? Not everybody understands that Shiduchim is in the hand of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Sometimes Miss Beauty can be 50 years old and never get married. I know some nice-looking girls with nice manners that never got married. And they're good, they're not crazy, they're not sick, nothing. They're good, good girls, and Hashem didn't want them to get married. Same thing, guys. Same thing, guys. Why? The king of the universe controls the marriages. Just before we, we finished, Ben Shloshim Lakoach, third years old, that's the time that you reach the highest strength. Ben 40, 40 years old for wisdom. That's the highest level of wisdom with experience, with life experience. That's why the Kabbalists say that you have to start learning Kabbalah when you're 40. Why? Your brain is in the highest capacity in those years. Ben Hamishim Laetza, 
When you're 50 years old already, you can give other advice to many people. That means you have life experience with lots of knowledge. Ben Shishim Lazikna, when you become 60, your old days begins. You're becoming now old. Ben Shivim Laseva, 70, you're lucky that you made it to 70. Ben Shmonim Lagvura, if you already reached 80 and older, then you're extremely lucky. Then it's a bonus. Anything older than 70, it's a bonus. Get to, to 80, it's extremely lucky to have extra few years to your life. Ben Tishim Lashuach. What does it mean, Ben Tishim Lashuach? That you should know when you're 90 and older, then you're starting to bend down your back, your body, and you start looking and getting closer to the ground. Why? Hashem is reminding you very close there. <laughs> yes, yes, that's how it is. That's why the body begins to bend. Yes. Ben Mea, it's already dead. Consider already dead. So you see him here, he's here, but he's already not here. What does it mean? What's the secret here? He loses his eyesight, his face changed completely. Even his wisdom starts to leave him. Usually, everything, there's always an exception to the rule. But when you reach 100 years old, you cannot rely on a person that is older than 100 and somebody that is younger than 100. So if you have two big chachamim, one is 95 and one is 105, it would be better off for the 90 or 85 because he's still uh, he's perfectly fine in his head. Once he's reaching 100, even though there's an exception to the rule, there's always a chance that he's already not remembering or he becomes senile or he forgets. But you have to know one thing. The more Torah a person learns, the greater he becomes when he becomes old, 60, 70, 80, he gets greater and greater. People who doesn't learn Torah, once they reach 60, they begin to go down, which means they become like babies. They want attention, they complain all the time, they become, how do they say in English, a pin in the neck. <laughs> Nobody can stand them anymore. Why? Get me water. Just a minute ago you told me to get you water. Here, you have water here. No, get me new water. Uh, why my son is not here? Why? Every second a new complaint. Why? It's already loneliness, misery, attention. It's like babies. Like babies. That's how it is. The older they get, because they don't have Torah, then they are bored. They must keep everybody occupied and busy around them. Why? The mind is empty. But when a person is very old, it's like a gold wine. The older he gets, the better he gets. The 20s, we have one last Mishnah. The last Mishnah, Ben Bagbag Omer. There's a song. Ben Bagbag, Ben Bagbag Omer. You know that song? You hear it in the weddings? It's after this Tana. Why his name is Ben Bagbag? It's a weird name. It's a secret. Bag, bet is two, numeric value, and gimel is three. It's hey. He's a son of converts. Why hey? Hey, it's a memory that Hashem took Avram and made him Avraham. He added hey to his name and made him a Jew, official Jew. Once he changed his name, lo yikareshimcha Avram, Avraham. So by adding hey to Avraham, he became holy. Sarah, her name was Sarai. With Yud. Hashem took away the Yud and added hey, made her Sarah. So that hey made her officially a Jew, right? So Bag, it's hey, hey. That his mother and father is converts. Ben Bag Bag. 
Then in another place he called Ben Hey Hey. It's a nickname, it's like a, a secret here. What's the secret? He was in a generation of Hillel Azaken, like 21, 2200 years ago. And they, in the old days, they, were, they used to make decrees, the Romans, that if somebody converts, they kill him. So you, they don't want people to be famous, so they started to speak in codes. They say Ben Bagbag, nobody knows what it means, but they wanted everybody to know that they're talking about the son of the converts. Right? And uh, so he, this is what he says. He says, the more you research inside the Torah, you're always going to find new things. It will never end, like a spring. The deeper you go, more water, and more waters are coming out. You can learn Torah a million years, and just you think you know everything by heart? Yeah, there's a lot more to know. There's no end to how much you can learn. The more you dig in, the more you research and investigate, there's always new things. Like I give you an example. 20 years ago, we started to find codes in the Torah. Because we have now computers, the computers are searching very fast. Without a computer, it will take us a thousand years to find one code. You know how many combinations you have? A computer does it in a second. It was always in the Torah. We didn't even know what to look for. Now, with the help of the computer, we found a whole ocean of knowledge that nobody was aware of. You know how many gematriot you have in the Torah? How many secrets with the names? How many times this word appears? So many things. There's no end to how much you find inside. No other book has anything compared to the Torah. Nothing. Not Quran, not uh, New Testament, not cults, nothing. They don't have what the Torah has. But he says, as a, as, as a descendant of converts, he said, the more you learn, the more you find things. And... He speaks in Aramaic. What does it mean? It says like this. Make sure that it becomes the main thing in your life, that you don't move an inch from it. Everything you do, you do according to it. Do not mix it with any other wisdom, wisdom of people. Don't ever put it in the same category. And nothing in the world comes even close to this wisdom, the knowledge of Hashem. This is Him. And right after that, the, the 23rd Mishnah, and we finish the 5th chapter, Ben Hei Hei Omer, Lefum Tzara Agra. Three words in this Mishnah. I think it's the shortest Mishnah in the whole Shas. Lefum Tzara Agra. One word, one sentence. What does it mean? According to the efforts, that's how the reward is. Not according to the talent, according to the efforts. Two students sit all day to learn. One finish ten pages, one finish one page. Right? So you may say the one who finished ten deserves ten times more credit than the one who finished one page. In college, that's the way it is. In math, in history, yes. By Hashem, that's not how it works. What is it? You learn 10 hours, and he learned 10 hours, you are equal. Ah, but he knows much more, doesn't matter. How, who sweat more, he is getting more reward for the efforts. Who tried harder, he gets more. For, who, for which student is more difficult, he gets more reward. One learn with the air condition, one learn without, it's already his reward is higher. 
One learned that his wife calling him every five minutes and drives him crazy. And it takes him away from the learning, but he continued to learn. He knows he's going to get home, she's going to beat him up, she's going to drive him crazy, he knows. But he continued to learn, and the other one learned, his wife is great, she's pushing him to learn. The one who learns with uh, obstacles and, and resistance, his reward is much greater, etc., etc. One person, his back is killing him and he learns, the other one is perfectly healthy, the ones with the pain gets a lot more reward. One has a great teacher, one has... Eh, a teacher, if you can call him a teacher, the one who doesn't have a great teacher gets a better reward. The rule is, one hour with sorrow and pain and agony and, and, and efforts is equal like a hundred in pleasant with no efforts. So never complain about the difficulty. Oh, it's so difficult, Rabbi, you know, I built this sukkah, it killed me, the winds. Look, my, my cousin in Florida, a sunny day, they built the sukkah in one hour, don't worry. It took you five hours, it took him one hour, you got five times more than him. And when you see the difference in the reward, you'll never complain. Lefum, in Aramic, it's lefi. Tsaara agra, lefi atzar asachar. According to the efforts, that's how the reward is going to be. Which means, you should know that the words of the Torah do not remain. They remain only if somebody who kills himself to gain Torah. Somebody who thinks, I'm going to hear a few tapes a week and that's going to teach me Torah. No, it's very nice for knowledge. What efforts? No efforts. You should know, somebody who killed himself, is, which means when I learn I don't exist, you can offer me business, you can offer me uh, uh, weddings and parties and to look at merchandise or to sell my merchandise. Nothing, I'm not interested. No sport, you cannot call me to watch a game, none of this nonsense. When I learn, my phone is off, the world does not exist for me. Even in a matter of life and death, you don't know where I am. The serious learner, this is the way they are. You know how many people in Israel, they don't have a cell phone? Rich people that needs to get them sometimes on a, on a very critical questions in the business. What to do, what to, it's, it needs an immediate answer right now, like stock market, I want to buy, I want to sell. They're asking. They get advice from big rabbis. Some of them buy them cellular phone only for him. Nobody knows the number. Why? If I need to reach you once a week for one minute, I'll know where to reach you. Otherwise, there's no way to reach you. Why he doesn't have it? Because he doesn't want to be bothered. He doesn't want anybody to know. Even his wife don't know where he is. Where were you all day? I was sitting and learning. Why? I don't want anybody to know where I am. I want to sit and learn, I don't want anybody to disturb me. This is people that achieve a lot. If every five minutes he goes in and out, uh, telephone, this, fax, business, they're calling from the store, well, what are you going to get? The more you dive in it, the more you give your life for it, the more you know. Those, all these big names that you see, you admire them for the Torah. The truth is, you should admire them for their efforts and sacrifice. All these big names, Rav Elyashiv, Rav Kanievsky, Rav Ovadia, Rav Ben-Zion Abba Shaul, uh, all these great names that we hear, Rav Steinman. If you knew how much these people did in their life, you, even if they wouldn't know any Torah, you have to bow down to them for how much they sacrifice. And I will finish with one last story about... In the days of the war, there used to be missiles and bombs falling from planes, you know, in the Second World War and the First World War. 
So, there was one yeshiva in Europe, and the war started, and the rabbi saw Rav Iser Zalman Meltzer, he was the Rosh Yeshiva, and he saw that bombs are falling mamash, 10 feet from the yeshiva already. It's shaking the building. So all I need is one bomb on our heads, 50 or 100 kids will all die. They're all high school kids. So he said to everyone, close your gmarot, go home. Go home, come back when the war is finished. When the last bomb will, when they have ceasefire, you hear on the news, you come back. Everybody went home. There was no planes like today. You get on a plane and go home. You need to take a train. Train takes days to get home. It wasn't like today. Everybody's parents come with their Mercedes to pick them up. Ah, life was very difficult 60, 70, 80 years ago. So all the kids go home. One of the kids, his name is Eliezer. He has a big bag. He took the train all the way home. His mother sees him in the middle of the day showing up. Oh, he's supposed to be hundreds of miles away. What are you doing here? She got nervous. So because of the war, the Rebbe sends everyone out. He said he doesn't want to be responsible for us. So she said, what kind of Rebbe is this? Doesn't he know that with the Torah you are the most protected? What, here you're more protected? Go right back to the yeshiva. He said, no one is there. Only the rabbi stay there. She said, I don't care. You go back and you tell him I sent you back, I'm responsible. So okay, but give me money for the train. I don't have money for the train. I use the money. People were very, very poor. She said, I don't have money to give you. So what am I going to do? She said, walk. No problem. Right away, put back stuff. He took the bag, heavy bag, like a weight of a person on his back. And he started to walk one week. One week from morning to night, walking, walking, walking to get to the yeshiva. When he got to the yeshiva after a week, the rabbi got nervous. Where were you for a week? Well, you didn't go home? What? Say, so, yeah, I went home. He tells him the whole story. My mother got angry. She sent me right back in. The rabbi didn't know where to hide himself. He said, listen, I'm so sorry. If I knew that, I wouldn't send you. He saw his shoes that is all ripped and full of dust. So he told him, can I... Can I buy these shoes from you? I'll, be, I'll give you a lot of money for these shoes. So why do you want to buy my shoes? So it's a memory for me how much a Jew gave for Torah. I want to keep it. These shoes today are in Lakewood, in New Jersey. When Rav Steinman went on Shabbos to the house of the Rosh Yeshiva at Lakewood, Rav Kotler, Rav Malkiel Kotler, his grandfather, Rav Aaron Kotler, that started all the Torah in America, all the Torah you have in America started from his grandfather. He started everything. There's nothing here after the Holocaust. It was Rav Moshe Feinstein. Rav Moshe Feinstein was here in America. There was no yeshivot yet, no nothing. He came from Russia into Lower East Side. Lower East Side was the port where you see seaport. All the Jews from Europe landed in, over there, in Lower East Side over there, next to Wall Street. So Rav Moshe Feinstein was already here. He, he came here first. Rav Aaron Kotler didn't know if to go from Europe to America or to Israel. Rav Moshe Feinstein sent him a letter, we need you here. We need giants like you in America to help me to build up this place with Torah. So he didn't know what to do. So he made Goral Agrad as a way to do a question from the Torah. You make a special prayer, you open it. 
whatever comes on the right side, this is the answer. What did he get? Lech etzel Moshe. There's a pasuk in the Torah that Hashem said to Aaron, go to Moshe. What was his name? Rav Moshe Feinstein. Rav Aaron Kotler didn't know if to go according to Rav Moshe Feinstein's advice to America or to Israel. Hashem answered him, go to Moshe. Rav Moshe Feinstein, he came to America, he opened Yeshivat Lakewood, 4,000 students. The biggest Yeshiva, perhaps in the world. So, when Rav Steinman, I told you before, 100 years old, soon 100 years old, he went to Lakewood. He's right now in America as we speak. He just came to America, I think, two, three days ago. So, when he went to Lakewood for Shabbos, in the middle of the Shabbos meal, he looks in a wall unit and he sees next to all the silver, two old dusty shoes. Ripped, you know, with the shoelaces, you know, like the old army shoes that people used to have 67 years ago. So he asked him, what's the secrets on these shoes that they stand in the middle of the wall unit next to the silverware? So he started to tell them that he inherited that from his grandfather, to his father, to him. So he told them the story about that boy. He said, my grandfather, from his mother's side, Rabbi Zalman Menzer, from his mother's side. Rabbi Aaron Kotler was from his father's side. He come from holy rabbis, this guy. So he said, my grandfather, when he saw the boy walked for one week, he felt so bad, so he wanted to do something for him. He saw he doesn't have money for the train, so he gave him a lot of money for those shoes. And he said, never lose these shoes. This is, these shoes can save millions of Jews. When, when the Satan comes and speaks against the nation of Israel, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the angel, Malach Gabriel, comes in, with these shoes and says, this is the nations you want to punish? Look, look what the Jew did for the Torah. So he said to him, you want to know these shoes belongs to who? So he said to who? He said to Rav Shach, Rav Eliezer Man Shach, he passed away five years ago. 107 years old, the head of all the religious world. Thousands of thousands of students, Yeshivat Ponovich, the, the biggest Yeshiva in the world, the, the highest quality Yeshiva in the world. He's, he was the Rosh Yeshiva there, who knows, 50, 60 years. But when he was a kid, their age, what did he do? He walked a week to the Yeshiva, not to miss Torah. In a war, bombs are falling. Today you ask the kids, let's learn five minutes. Let's learn ten minutes. Oof, no, no, tomorrow. I learned in the morning. When did you learn? No, okay, in five minutes. Right? That's what happened today. After you put so much junk in their head, so much electronic, so many films, so many bad things that they see, so many Chinese restaurants, you want them to learn Torah? What do you... Who are you fooling? Got it? You got the point or no? Six years ago has nothing to do. You connect to Hashem like a magnet. Anyway, there's not that much to see. Women were all modest, say 67 years ago, even the goyot. There was no fancy cars, no fancy feeders, no telephones, no, no nothing. No electric, no television, no computers, no laptops, no internet, no Facebook. None of this garbage that destroy us spiritually. That's why you have, for every 10 Jews who came to Yeshiva, one of them was a giant. Today, from every 10,000, if you have one giant, you're lucky. Then, from every 10 students, you know one of them is a giant, for sure. There's nothing to ask. Every neighborhood, you had a rabbi to ask. 
You didn't look to look for your rabbi for 20 minutes on the phone, every question that you have. Why? You come out of your home, you go across the street to the shul, you have 15 rabbis sitting right there. You don't know who to ask. Today, you need to reach your rabbi. It's rabbi, I'm looking for you for two days. Why? There's nobody to find. Compared to what it used to be. But with Rat Hashem, when Mashiach comes, things will be better. Thank you very much. We'll see you next Monday.